Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you out on Zoom. And uh, hello to you if you're listening to the podcast later. I'll apologize in advance if you're listening to the podcast. You're probably not going to see my slides unless you're really good at remote visualization in some way. <laughs> um, but you'll just have to take my word for it that they're beautiful. Um, and I'll try to explain things as we go. So if there's a visual that needs explaining. So I'd like to begin with a land and ancestor acknowledgement. I invite us to dedicate our time together this morning to all those who are suffering. We recognize the Dakota and Anishin, excuse me, I was practicing pronouncing this and now I'm rushing into it. Anishinaabe, is that correct? Okay. The Anishinaabe peoples whose descendants are still here and whose lands we occupy. Let us also offer deep gratitude to our Indian, Chinese, and Japanese spiritual ancestors for all they have given us and for the chance to practice here today, which is no small thing. Let us stand with the black community who have suffered in the loss of the Rondo neighborhoods where we are sitting. We are all connected. May we work together for the liberation of all beings. Okay, now I'm going to attempt to share my slides. How's that looking? Good. As good as it gets. You can move this. There we go. Okay. Uh, the title of my talk today, if you can get it, why? Oh, I have to hit play. That's what I need to do. There we go. The title of my talk today is uh, Dukkha and Sukha and Vedana. Oh my. <laughs> and, uh, Boy, I need to rearrange the, uh, can't see everything on the slides at once. This is going to be interesting. You can minimize the, the um, instead of seeing five panels of uh -huh. people, okay. you can, I think it's the. Ah, okay. Well, I want to see the people. That's the problem. Oh, yeah. Well, well, we'll see how it goes. Um, the subtitle down here is Suffering, Happiness, and Feelings in Buddhism. And for those of you listening to the audio, um, it's a picture of uh, Dorothy, the Tin Man, and a Scarecrow in the dark forest saying, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, except it's they're saying uh, Dukkha and Sukha and Vedana. And in the subtitle, uh, these the translations of these words are in quotation marks. Uh, and that's because the kind of topic of this talk is looking at the range of interpretation of these very of these three very key words in Buddhism, which of course were not originally delivered in English. <laughs> um, and the reason 
I guess my connection for the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, is that we're going to be doing starting off the new year with a bit, bit of a deep dive into the polycanon, which is the, uh, so they say, the uh, early teachings of the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni. And uh, that can be a little bit intimidating. And also we're going to be talking about feelings and emotions, which I think can be a bit of a loaded topic also. Uh, this is something that I've honestly struggled with for like many, many years in my practice now since the 1990s. Um, and ended up doing like a lot of research particularly when I started getting into youth practice, I started having a lot more questions. Teaching is wonderful. Uh, you really start to realize how much you don't actually know. <laughs> particularly for me when you're teaching children, <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm responsible for trying to say something appropriate to these young developing minds uh, and realizing, hmm, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. So I ended up doing a lot of research in this area, which is ongoing, which was one of the reasons for uh, starting the Katagiri Transcripts website, which I uh, maintain, where I'm transcribing the uh, Dharma talks of Katagiri Roshi. Katagiri Roshi was the monk who came from Japan uh, originally to San Francisco Zen Center, where he worked with Suzuki Roshi, and then he was invited to come to Minnesota. And he founded Minnesota Zen Meditation Center, or, I mean, he was the teacher. Um, various people kind of like invited him to come and worked on founding it. But he was, he is basically the reason, or one of the larger, largest reasons why we're sitting here today. Why there's this strange little bubble of Soto Zen Buddhism in Midwestern America. Um, we'll talk a little bit more and we'll be reading a bunch of quotes from uh, Katagiri Roshi uh, in this talk. But at any rate, um, although you know this may seem like a lot of information, I've, I've given some talks at uh, Hokioji in the last year, at least three, which were pretty heavy on detail, perhaps. <laughs> they were almost kind of like presenting research findings from my, my studies. And I would try to like cram a lot of material into those talks. And what I'm discovering is that really didn't exactly work for people. <laughs> um, at least that's my impression. I, I think, you know, maybe it's possible to get some interesting things out of these talks, but I'm going to try something a little different. I'm going to try to keep this more simple. And we need to have the understanding that with the quotes I'm presenting from Katagiri Roshi, these are short talks taken out of the context of like 90 minutes to two hours talking on the subject. So we're not going to capture all of the context. And also I've transcribed about 40 of his talks at this point out of 300 to 400 that are available online. Um, so, you know, take that into account, but I've tried to pick out some, uh, some quotes that are pretty interesting, relevant to the subject matter. And um, Probably you won't find these in the four or five very excellent books that have been transcribed, that have been uh, compiled from Katagiri Roshi's teaching. This may be stuff that's new to you. Uh, finally, about Dukkha and Sukha and Vedana, oh my, um, don't worry. At the end, we can click our heels together three times. 
and realized, you know, we were home all along. And you were there, and you were there, and you were there on Zoom. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be okay. Um, but at any rate, I've had a lot of struggles with uh, this topic matter over the years, and I freely admit I have a certain amount of energy around it, which you might observe at some point or not. But um, I wanted to, because this is the new, new year, this is January 1st of the year 2023. Uh, I wanted to start out the year with something positive, um, something um, perhaps even inspirational. So this is what I picked. Is there anything on the chat that I should know about Mirshin? They want the um, website for the talks, which I'm trying to remember. KatagiriTranscripts.net. Okay. So I'm going to start out, actually, in this Soto Zen context, with a poem by a Sufi mystic, who you may know. You know Rumi? You know this poem, The Guest House. Okay, I guess I'm going to have, oh, there we go. Maybe that'll work with the people on the right there. The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Want to hear that again? Can anyone hear it again? Okay. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows, who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I'm going to experiment with pausing and seeing if there's any comments from the group uh, that's here and on Zoom. What, what do you think of this poem? Anybody? If you like. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Not. There's a heart on Zoom. It's a heart. <laughs> Courageous, says Zoom. 
courageous. The poem is courageous. Yeah. Well, yeah. You could say that. <laughs> Virya Paramita time. Virya is one of the Paramitas or heroic practices in Buddhism, which is basically energy. You could even go so far as maybe translating it as courage. Okay. Um, and Carl says, I like the clearing out the sorrows to make room for the new delights. Is that what it says, though? It says, the crowd of sorrows may be clearing you out. I, I think that's what she said. Okay, so I'm going to say um, I might have had a different reaction to this poem earlier in my uh, um, process in, in Buddhism. Uh, but spoiler for the rest of the talk, now I, I really like this poem, which um, is why I chose it. And in fact, I'd like to invite us uh, to take this on as an intention for this talk to really welcome uh, whatever is coming up for us. Um, that's just an invitation. Uh, if, if you don't want to, to do that, that's, that's fine. Um, I think the reality of you know, how things work is we're probably all gonna be doing that anyway, uh, but there is a difference between doing it intentionally and um, kind of clamping down on things. Um, so, and I do hear this as being about uh, particularly feelings and emotions. <clears throat> so I invite us all to pay attention to those. And um, even if I'm going to try to do that myself. Uh, and this is the interesting thing about emotions, as I'm learning, is that um, emotions are part of communication. Uh, if we're paying attention to our feelings and emotions in ourselves, uh, that is part of this mysterious thing that's called empathy. And that allows us to uh, actually communicate with the world and other people. If we're not doing that, I mean, we're always doing that to some extent, but it helps to be like aware of it. Uh, if we're unaware of that, our interaction can perhaps become a bit one-dimensional if we're hanging out in the intellect all the time. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of the intellect. I'm an app developer. <laughs> I used to write apps about Mars rovers and exploring space. <laughs> That's where I'm coming from. But I'm kind of new to this emotions and feelings part, and exploring it from kind of a scientific Point of view. So anyway, I have some questions about this guest house. Um, uh, is this a Buddhist way of looking at life? Why would we welcome sadness, grief, shame, malice? things that it mentions in the poem. Aren't we supposed to feel happy in Buddhism? 
And different people look at this from different ways. I've also kind of heard it as, well, I know all about suffering. I'm suffering all the time. Um, isn't, Buddha, isn't Buddhism just about suffering? And alleviating suffering. I kind of heard both sides of this issue. I apologize if that doesn't make sense, but hopefully it will as we get into things here. So let's talk about Buddhism. And uh, who knows what this is that I just put up on the screen? Human condition. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Uh, anybody else? No. Okay. The wheel. Right? The wheel, yeah. It's a wheel. The Dharma wheel. Samsara. Samsara. Good. It's the six realms. The six realms. Good. Twelve legs yeah. around the outside. Excellent. Anybody uh, on the chat? The wheel of Samsara, says Magda. True. Okay. Who's the inviting figure? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the guy who's holding it? Yeah, that's uh, Yama in this version of the wheel. He represents impermanence, okay. or you could even say death. <laughs> death comes to us all. Yes. Uh, this is okay. So all most of the things, all of the things I think that I heard are true. Uh, this is the wheel of life. Um, it's an ancient graphic that represents the core teachings of the Buddha. Versions of it are found on doors of Buddhist temples all across Asia. The name comes from the Sanskrit word Bhava Chakra. Hello, Hokan. Welcome. Chakra means endlessly turning circle, and Bhava means becoming. So it could also be called the wheel of becoming. And yes, this is samsara. Um, the, the wheel part is thought of as samsara, which uh, means something along the lines of wandering in circles world. Uh, and it's closely associated with suffering, often. But what does suffering mean? I want to get into this a little bit more. Okay, so let's zoom way in and just quickly go through some of the parts of this. I can already tell I'm probably not going to get nearly as far as in this presentation as I was hoping to, but that's okay. At the center, we have the three, what are usually called the three poisons. I call them the three fires. These are the primal forces that drive our existence, uh, beginning with ignorance, avidya, which is uh, not, here we're getting into the problematic translations already, but you could call this not knowing. Um, desire, wanting, and aversion, not wanting. In the three poisons version, these are often referred to as greed, anger, and ignorance. Um, there's different translations. Usually it's ignorance though, which is interesting because I'm not sure if ignorance is the right word, but by gosh, no one has ever come up with a better one. And we're gonna look at what ignorance is in just a second, as best we can. Uh, the next circle out is karma. Karma is usually understood as meaning cause and effect. Katagiri Roshi uh, says a lot more about karma uh, he might say something like, karma is great energy to support our lives. Karma is actually the source of our lives. So in the wheel, we're, we're going from the three fires here to karma, and then karma drives us into the six realms, as Mio Shin mentioned. These are the heaven realm, 
fighting God realm, human realm, animal realm, hungry ghost realm, and hell realm. Heaven is at the top, hell is at the bottom. Um, so here's a little story. This is a Zen story about heaven and hell. You ready for this? Some of you may know this, probably. A big tough samurai once went to see a little monk. Monk, he said, in a voice accustomed to instant, obe instant obedience, teach me about heaven and hell. The monk, saintly little monk, looked up at this mighty warrior and changed his aspect altogether, said, teach you about heaven and hell? I couldn't teach you anything. You're dirty, you smell, your blade is rusty. You're a disgrace, an embarrassment to the samurai class. Get out of my sight, I can't stand you. The samurai was furious. He shook, got all red in the face, was speechless with rage. He pulled out his sword and raised it above him, preparing to slay the monk. What did the monk say at this point? That is hell. Yes, that's hell said the monk softly. The samurai was overwhelmed. The compassion and surrender of this little man who had offered his life to give this teaching to show him hell. He slowly put down his sword, filled with gratitude and suddenly peaceful. And that's heaven, said the monk softly. This is, a, there's many versions of this story. This is adapted from Soul Food by Jack Cornfield. Okay. What does that tell us? What is this that we are looking at? I have a word in mind. I'm curious. You may not have the same word that I do, but is this cosmology? Is this looking at a round of rebirth in the physical world, sending us to different literal places like heaven and hell? Well, it might be. That might be one aspect of Buddhist teaching. I'm not sure about that. But to me, this is psychology. Mm -hmm. That's the word I'm thinking of. And if you want two words, I would call this Buddhist psychology. Mm -hmm. And it's not the kind of psychology where we're doing diagnoses exactly of, of you are this. You know, I have generalized anxiety, that kind of thing. This is about the human condition. This is how minds work. Does that make sense? In Zen, I think, especially in modern Zen, I think we tend to interpret the wheel this way, although it may have wider, it may work on several levels. So talking about psychology, uh, the outer ring is very interesting. This is the 12 links of dependent origination or 12-fold causation, as Katagiri Roshi referred to it. I definitely do not have time today to go into the 12 links of dependent origination. To me, this is like one of the most difficult topics that's commonly covered in Buddhism, and opinions of it are all over the place, very varied. But I want to mention that I say that this explains in detail how our experience arises in each moment. Buddhism is largely about experience, what's in front of us, um, and how to work with it. 
And um, just for uh, purposes of this talk, I'll point out that a couple of the links, like the, the first one, the one at about one o'clock there, is avijja. That's the word that's usually translated as ignorance. That's the start of this voyage, except there's no start. This is a circle. It goes around counterclockwise and clockwise. You can jump around. Uh, and it works at what Katagiri Roshi, I'm told, sometimes referred to as super speed. Okay, you can see this in the story. You can go from heaven to hell in an instant. And this is the process by which it happens. Does that make sense at all? Okay. Uh, and there's a couple other, well, they're all noteworthy. Um, some of the ones that will come up are grasping and craving and Vedana, which is the word which is usually translated as feelings, not usually, but often translated as feelings, is uh, at about seven o'clock there. Okay, so something I want to say about Buddhist psychology and the wheel of life, uh, it's interpreted in various ways. Uh, one way is that our goal is to get the heck off of this wheel, <laughs> this crazy, crazy wheel, and go up there and hang out with the Buddha. Um, and that's okay. That's that's that. Maybe that's one way of looking at it. Uh, in the Mahayana, we might cast this a little bit differently. Mahayana Buddhism, which includes Zen Buddhism, which is, um, as they say, samsara and nirvana. Um, samsara is nirvana. Nirvana is samsara. In a sense, there is no escape from the wheel, my friends. And the purpose, the goal, is to be exactly present where we are, which is why I note that there's, in the Mahayana version of this wheel, there is a Buddha in each of these realms, right there taking on the guise of that particular realm, whatever kind of suffering it is. And you can, again, you can interpret this in different ways. Uh, the way I'm more and more seeing it these days, we'll see if I can get the words around this right, is that um, the path is, is in our experience, okay? Uh, this is the guest house. These are the things that are arising and we can welcome them. And that is a more effective, you could even say psychologically effective uh, way of dealing with life than pushing things away. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when we have no alternative but to push things away. Boundaries are very important. Uh, and we have situations, particularly early in our life, where we have not much control over what's going on. Um, and there's a lot of suffering. Uh, but if conditions allow, if we have the time and the energy, it can be helpful to turn the light around, as they say in Fukan Zazengi, and uh, practice mindfulness and look within at what's, what's actually coming up for us. Is there anything that's coming up for you around this right now? I'm seeing like a variety of expressions and I'm trying to not lose track of the folks on Zoom either. 
I, one thing that came to mind, Kikan, is that um, um, I often heard it expressed that ignorance is helpfully looked at as ignoring what is arising. Mm. It's not, I don't know it because I'm ignorant, I'm uneducated. It's, I'm not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And if I did pay attention, it would get to what you're talking about, the ability to work with it mm -hmm. in a helpful way. Interesting. I don't, I don't think I heard that one. I, 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 I kind of like that. I want to reflect on it a bit more. Okay. And we'll see if it fits in, because I'm going to talk about ignorance more in just a second. Let's yeah. see if it fits in. Yeah, it was a, one of the ways of looking at it. So one of the ways. Is you don't know, but yeah. frankly, in psychology, it's all... It's all boring. Oh, you're going to love the category of your quote in a second. <laughs> we have time for it. Um, we have a question on Zoom. Yes. Go ahead, Marga. Oh, hi. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, uh, this still reminds me of something I read about a Pema Chodron. Um, uh, when she got divorced, she was um, very angry. And she read uh, a report uh, written by Choyam Trumper Rinpoche. And in this report, uh, it says that it's, it's all right to be angry. And she was very surprised because she thought that being angry was a bad thing. But what the report said uh, was that uh, is I, anger, anger is a symptom that something must be changed that something wrong was done to you, but the way you approach it with compassion and in, in that way is a tool for growth. So in this sense, uh, it welcomes anger, but it, it didn't advise to get lost in anger, but just to use it as your personal growth. And for that, it requires a lot of uh, mindfulness, I guess. Uh, so that's my comment. Wonderful. Thank you for that. W were you able to hear any of that in the room here? No. No? Okay. Let me, well, I don't know if I can repeat the whole thing, but that is very much to the point of what I want to talk about. Magda was bringing up that, uh, the issue of anger in uh, how we look at it in Buddhism, and uh, Trungpa was telling, uh, I, I forget who it was, that, that anger I'm is Emma children that um, anger is not necessarily bad. Uh, it could be coming up for valid reasons. Uh, I would extend that to all of the emotions, getting back to the guest house. This, <laughs> they, I'm not sure what messengers, how does he put it, messengers from beyond, something like that. Um, I'm not sure what that means exactly. That's, guide, that's very poetic. Guide. guide from beyond, that guide is even better. I'm not sure what a guide from that sounds lovely. I'm not sure if I had one nitpick with the poem, it would probably be that. That's well, that's great. What, what does that mean? In Buddhism, <laughs> we're more focused on not beyond. <laughs> it's like here and now. Uh, but that's that's a little bit nitpicking. I think the core point there is that uh, these emotions are presenting information, uh, and it's often important information. But where it gets complicated is that these feelings can be coming up. Everything is to do with karma. Uh, and uh, karma goes back a long way. <laughs> and we have a lot of 
what we think of as problems <laughs> with, with, with karma. We all have our background growing up, which may have had different uh, uh, factors. Um, at any rate, what I want to say is working with emotions that are coming up and anger is a core example. Uh, that is, to me, essentially what mindfulness is about. Uh, emotions are so key, providing such important information for us. Um, and if anger is coming up, um, here's two important points about emotions. This is from Carla McLaren and the book, The Language of Emotions, which is um, someone I'm studying. Uh, at the moment. Uh, it's important to realize that uh, emotions aren't always like the loud emotions that we think about. Like there's a range of anger from like rage down to, oh, just a very slight little irritation. Okay. And if you're tuned in, if you see that irritation in its kind of more flowing informational state, then you can say, oh, okay, there's something here that I might need to attend to before it gets to where you need to take drastic action to prevent yourself from doing something that you may later regret. Uh, and the other thing is that you, sometimes you do need to take drastic action to prevent yourself from doing something that you may later regret. <laughs> There's a range between expression and repression. Uh, and we ideally we don't want to be either in I mean okay so ex full expression of rage can cause a lot of problems on the other hand repression can cause a lot of problems because you're just deferring something that's ultimately real whether it's coming from the present moment or whether it's coming from your own background uh, as a child or a young adult or, or what have you or some traumatic incident um, so the key, and this is almost Buddhist, is kind of like in the middle zone, I think. There, there is a way to work with feelings that does not fall into repression or expression if it's problematic. This is why I started, well, one of the big reasons why I started transcribing Katagiri Roshi's talks, because there's a very wide variety of opinions out there on this subject. And Buddhism, uh, the views on emotions are not exactly clear. Um, and I think, this is my opinion based on some research, most of the opinions about emotions in Buddhism are pretty much just coming from whatever culture Buddhism happened to be in as these ideas were being expressed. Are you, are you with me here? Is this making mm -hmm. sense? Okay. At any rate, Emotions, like the guest house says, um, guides from right here and now <laughs> or from the past. Be beyond is nice too. Um, is, that, is that good enough for now, Magda? I'm going to get more kind of like into that theme. Hopefully that's okay. All right, so that's the guest house. Now, in the time that I have left, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, suffering and happiness and um, feelings, like it said in the title of the talk. See what we can do here. 
without stressing out about it. Um, dukkha is the Sanskrit or Pali word for suffering. Here's a quote. Have you heard this one? Life is suffering. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I said, this is from the Buddha, supposedly. I believe this relates to the first, the so-called first noble truth, or the first truth of noble ones, or the first ennobling truth. There's various ways of, of translating even that concept. Um, which basically just says dukkha. <laughs> there's, there's dukkha. So it doesn't even say life necessarily, although it's, it's kind of inferred that dukkha is a characteristic of life. So what is dukkha? Uh, let's go to Wikipedia and see what they say. We may be surprised. Dukkha, commonly translated as suffering, pain, or unhappiness, is an important concept in Buddhism, Jainism, and Hinduism. Its meaning depends on the context and may refer more specifically to the unsatisfactoriness or unease of mundane life when driven by craving, grasping, and ignorance. Uh, what strikes me about this definition in Wikipedia is I find it surprisingly not bad. Um, and I think the reason is that this, this definition actually reflects years of reflection by scholars on what dukkha actually means and a growing realization that took place over decades that, okay, suffering may not have been exactly the right word, uh, particularly when you say life is suffering. That is is carrying a lot of, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a strong weight there. Um, while the term dukkha has often been derived from the prefix du, bad or difficult, and the root ka, empty, whole, uh, a badly fixing axle hole from a cart or chariot giving a very bumpy ride. Okay, this is, I think, very interesting in itself. Okay, it's not, it's, it's a bumpy ride. It's, it, the flow is kind of disrupted. That's, that's one way of looking at dukkha. And considering we were just looking at the wheel of life, uh, consider that. Uh, it may actually be derived, so we've gone beyond the revised source, and we're now going into, into the revised, revised source of the word Buddha. It may actually be derived from uh, du sta, uh, this bad stand. That is standing badly, unsteady, unstable. Well, that kind of works too, and is also not exactly um, what you might expect of suffering. Okay, so now I want to get into, <laughs> in, in about seven minutes, <laughs> this is going to be a two-parter talk with the talk, part two being in probably June or July. <laughs> um, now I'm going to get back into, uh, or get into some quotes from Kadiguri Roshi um, relating to suffering and uh, avidya, ignorance. And Katagiri Roshi, this is something, when I, when I started transcribing these talks, I had no idea what they would be like. Uh, that's kind of why I was doing it. I, I was actually a little bit worried.
would I find something there that I couldn't like deal with and I would be like, oh, okay, I can't like work with this. Uh, what happened was uh, quite felicitous. <laughs> uh, it turns out that Katagiri Roshi, amongst many, I mean, he's, he's funny. Uh, you can really get the ener his energy from listening to his talks and reading the transcripts, let me be clear, is to help with listening to the talks. There's an added dimension actually listening to him. Uh, it's just that he, he, he wasn't a native English speaker. He was speaking English, but people had like a very difficult time understanding what he was saying. Partly because it was like entirely new concepts, and he was presenting Buddhism at a very deep level, which frankly I don't think, based on my own experience, I don't think anyone could have been prepared for. Uh, but also just because it's like, what? <laughs> what did you say? You know, his accent and his grammar was kind of interesting. So I, I listened to these talks like multiple times to try to uh, basically smooth out his grammar and figure out what words he's actually using. Um, and the delightful thing for me is he talks about Buddhist psychology like a lot. <laughs> and for me it's like, yeah, right on. <laughs> this is what I want to hear about. So here's Katagiri Roshi talking about Buddhist psychology. This is from Karma, where Karma originates. This is the, okay, there's a series of seven talks. This is kind of the joys and sorrows of transcribing these talks. There's a series of seven talks, I believe, on karma. The first one is about specifically the 12 links of dependent origination uh, and the 12 fold, or 12 fold causation, as he calls it, at least according to the title. We don't know because what remains of that talk is about five minutes long and consists of the end of the question and answer period. So I was going there like, oh yes, finally the answer is to what the 12-fold causation is. This will answer everything. Wait, where is it? <laughs> what? <laughs> However, he picks up the topic in the following talk, which is good. He's going through it again. So this goes back to those 12 links, okay, in the first one, the eject ignorance. Okay, see if you can follow this. It's going to be hard, but just kind of soak it in. Um, don't worry about it too much. The first link, ignorance, avijja, and also craving and grasping, those three are klesha in Sanskrit, delusion. Klesha means affliction. This is because ignorance, avijja, is that we are doomed not to understand. Doomed means fated. We are doomed not to understand what the truth is, as it is, intellectually. We are always there in the truth, I add, but we don't understand. We are doomed not to understand the truth as it is. That is what is called pain, affliction. That's why the Buddha says life is characterized by suffering. This is really suffering. It's really interesting to me. That's not what I necessarily would have thought of as suffering. It seems to be, to me, he seems to be referring to uh, the fact that our intellect can't grasp. I mean, as soon as we bring in intellect, intellect is wonderful, but as soon as we bring in intellect, we're into dualism and we can't understand. We can't, at least we can't understand what the truth is because it's not dualistic. 
Well, let's go, let's go a little bit further. But we cannot stop it because we are already there. So even though intellectually we don't understand, still we feel and we want to know. We want to know, but we cannot understand. That's why that is affliction, suffering. That is the basic, basic nature of human being. That's why first there is a vijja, ignorance. That's why it's the first thing on the list of 12 um, things. So the first stage of human movement, avidya, ignorance, according to my terms, this is really vitality. In a good sense, this is really vitality, don't you think so? In a sense, you don't know what the truth is. You cannot understand. That's why you suffer. You are afflicted with human life. That is basic nature of human being. But in a sense, by this, attached to this ignorance, we are moving, moving, acting, and creating consciousness and by the consciousness, we can get in the human world. So from this point, ignorance is really dumb. <laughs> There's some, some hesitant laughter in the group. <laughs> For in a sense, attached to dumbness, so we can get into the human world. According to me, that is really vitality in human life. If you don't have ignorance, if you always understand the truth and you are always there, well, you cannot get the vitality because you are always in heaven. No suffering, you are always there in heaven. You know heaven, heaven is really paradise. Completely no suffering, because if you want anything, if even for a moment you think I want, immediately it happens. Everything you want is given to you, so it's not necessary to suffer. That is heaven, paradise. Everybody wants to go to heaven. That's why we struggle in human life. But apparently, if you go to paradise, you're really bored. <laughs> it's not where human beings should be. So you're lucky, anyway, to suffer. And at this point in the recording, you hear some scattered laughter, and if you, uh, <laughs> you sigh. Uh, <laughs> because suffering is really vitality, creating human vitality to live. Even though you don't like it, it is true, according to these 12 causations. Okay, that's about as much as I'm going to have time for, but I want to go back okay. to what? That's a great stopping point. Oh, yeah. yeah that's so much more. Um, I want to go back, just to emphasize this, related to something we were talking about earlier, the six realms, okay? This is something, when I present the six realms, I say this, and often, particularly like if I'm in an intro group or people from outside Buddhism, or even in Buddhism, I think people don't believe it, which is what Kategori Roshi just said, which is in Buddhism, heaven realm is not the goal. Right. It's yeah. not. It's a negative state. It's not. Well, I mean, negative, positive, I don't know. But it's nice, but it's not the ideal place for Buddhism. It has its own problems, principally complacency. Uh, it's a little bit too nice. <laughs> the place to be is in the human realm, suffering with <laughs> all our friends here. And I know, I, I know it's hard. Uh, uh, suffering is real and it can be uh, very difficult. And I'm kind of talking about this from um, an idealistic standpoint in a way. But nevertheless, um, there we are. So, um, 
Let's see, did I have anything way at the end that I wanted to get to? Yeah, probably nothing that I can present. So I guess I'm going to have to stop it there. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah.